Hi, I'm Mary-Kate Fain, founder of 4W. I'm Sasha White, and I am the co-founder of Plevity.org. And this is Identity Crisis, a new show for gender-critical teens and 20-somethings. Last week on Identity Crisis, we talked about logical fallacies and how to examine arguments to help you discover what you actually believe on a series of issues. But something that we've noticed is that once you change your mind on something big, it can feel really earth shattering and cause, you know, an identity crisis. And this is something that uh, we have both been through. And it's a pattern that I see repeated over and over again among especially young gender critical people is they go through this initial struggle of once you have questioned gender ideology, it feels like your whole world starts to fall apart and you start to question everything. And people handle this in really different ways that I think can range from being really unhealthy and toxic to being very healthy and making you a more complete, interesting person. And so today, I think we want to talk about how this happens, the different ways that it occurs, and what you can do to, you know, question everything without going completely crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's funny because I feel like I'm always quoting Helen Joyce, but here's another good Helen Joyce point that she made that we, especially here in the US, we have, we're offered packages of political opinions. Like you have that we only have two main parties. It's a disgrace, but that's a separate topic in itself. Um, But if you find yourself on the democratic side of the aisle, you're offered this package. And one of the things in the package is is today is gender identity ideology. So if you find yourself rejecting that, you can feel like you have to reject the whole package or you have to find a completely new political space or you just have no idea where you're politically situated. So that's one element of what we're talking about today, but we also are um, focusing, it's not just about what whether you're a Democrat or you're Republican. It's more about that intellectual sort of philosophical process within yourself and how do you sort of process your own perspectives and what you're seeing with the world? How do you make that fit with everything else that you already believe? Yeah, and like you said, this isn't just about gender identity ideology or different uh, political beliefs. Something that I noticed, uh, you know, I bring this up on the channel a lot, but in animal rights, I really went through this myself when I first went vegan, and I've seen other vegans go through this a lot. Basically, the way that it works, and this might be familiar to people who went through the same process with gender identity, is you grow up believing one thing all of your life, and then suddenly you learn something or a bunch of things that completely changes your worldview on something that is considered sort of foundational to your understanding of the world. It shatters your expectations. It makes you question the people in authority. It makes you question maybe even your loved ones and what you were taught. And it makes you feel unsure about everything that you've learned. And while at first it might be happening around a specific issue, like for example, animal rights or gender identity, once that process begins, it feels like you start to question everything around you, things that aren't related to that issue. So one thing, for example, that I saw among my uh, fellow animal rights activists was this tendency towards falling into other uh, like world questioning beliefs that weren't based in any sort of logic, just because they had started down this path of question everything. 
And so for example, I actually know a lot of vegans who are flat earthers and it is, it to me makes, you know, no sense on its face because veganism to me is a very logical thing. It's really based in, you know, you have X, Y, Z beliefs about your values and you're applying that consistently. So like, to me, that's a very logical process, but then these people, when they started to question everything, they just started questioning literally everything. And they did uh, what my dad used to call being so open-minded that your brain falls out. (laughs) And they started to fall for other conspiracies like flat earth and things with no evidence and no logic behind them. And so Sasha, has this ever happened to you? Um, yes, it has. And the example that's coming to mind is so funny because it's actually, um, well, it, it is what you're saying. It's when I first learned about radical feminism and I started to question all this male authority and male um, knowledge and teachings and values and principles. So as a younger person, like when I was in high school, I was really enamored with the with these lofty ideals of due process and innocent before proven guilty. I was like a mock trial nerd and I was always a defense attorney. So I was really, really big on this. Everybody deserves a defense, no matter the worst criminal. Like I was really into lawyers who would defend terrorists or you know things like that because it's this incredible ideal of someone could commit a or we don't know if they've committed a horrible crime. That's the whole point is that even if we, everybody in the world thinks they've done it and you think they've done it and, and it's ho- the most heinous thing, they have a human right to a defense. And that's something that protects all of us so that we can't just be thrown in the dungeon on the whim of the king. And those values were so important to me. And I was learning more and more how they were not actualized and how they are not actualized in our system. There are these beautiful concepts, just like the constitution has this beautiful concept of freedom and yet, our country was founded on with slavery. Um, But as I became more of a feminist and then the Me Too movement arose, there was this real backlash against those concepts, which I consider some of the most important concepts. And um, as people know, there was this like believe her movement and slogan. And I think that I got a little bit swept up in it. And I lost my ability to differentiate between believing and supporting women in a feminist way and then throwing out you know due due process and the concept of going along with a mob and when someone points their finger and says guilty that we all rush in and say guilty guilty punish that person and I think that it was really easy to go along with that because it felt so righteous like I I want there to be retribution and justice. And that's kind of what social justice is all about. I find it really interesting that the word freedom is like not cool for social justice warriors. It's like, oh, what are you a right winger for freedom? Like, oh my freedom fries, you know, like it has that connotation now, which is quite sad. And justice is so important, but so is freedom. And justice is not about, is not necessarily about achieving freedom. Justice is about achieving retribution. That's what the justice system is, um, the criminal justice system. So I think I kind of went through that arc. And then when I, in terms of when I was canceled, I woke up and I was like, well, wait a second. There's a huge contradiction here that I was always kind of aware of, but it was cognitive dissonance. And there's this huge contradiction between 
innocent until proven guilty and this mob mentality of like believe every woman no matter what so that was one for me that I think I really got swept up in a little bit of group think there and had to readjust <laughs> that's really interesting and, and it sounds very familiar and I'm glad that you specifically brought up cognitive dissonance because I think that's what is happening in a lot of these cases when people start to question one thing and then it causes them to question who they are as a person because they're questioning that. And then they feel the need to shift their identity to align with who they think they are or need to be. So when people start to go down this like question everything rabbit hole, I've noticed that there are three different sort of like unhealthy ways that people can handle this. The first, especially in the gender identity world, is people will go full right wing. They'll, you know, Ariel Scarcella is a good example of this. And, you know, I like her. I have no issue with her, but she's a good example of it. So she started to question gender identity ideology and was a pretty classic liberal up till that point um, in pretty much any way that I guess I could think of. Then when she was attacked for being gender critical, she started to align herself more with conservatives because they were the ones who were supporting her, listening to her and giving her a platform. Right. And the more that she spoke with conservatives, you got to sort of watch her journey because she's a YouTuber, the more we saw her decide that she was conservative herself. And I think that that is a really good example of someone who they really still, and she, she actually still to this day still seems to have liberal values in a lot of ways, but now is identifying more with the right because she's had this identity crisis where it really made her question, well, if I disagree with these liberals and they don't want me and like they hate me for what I'm saying, then I guess I'm not a liberal. And so she, in order to like find an identity, went with the people who were being nice to her, even though it doesn't really actually seem like her politics actually are conservative, but she is like identifying now more as a conservative. And I don't know exactly what she calls herself lately, but uh, you know, she's been very outspokenly um, in favor of the right in a lot of other ways recently. Didn't she wear a MAGA and hat then, at some point? Yeah. Not I that I that condemn. Not that I'm the type of person who condemns everyone who wears a MAGA hat, but I think right. I saw that. But it's just an example of someone who really doubled down, I think, on yeah. going full conservative because, like, through the process of questioning one thing, decided, okay, well, I guess I'm not a liberal anymore. I must be conservative, really only because of this one issue. Like, I have not seen her actually change her mind on other issues. I've seen she had, like, a debate with... Um, about gun rights or something and she still is pretty much on the like liberal side of the gun debate although she's more open than most people on it and it was just a really interesting example of someone going full right wing and I see this online a lot as well people who start to question gender identity and then we kind of watch this like YouTube algorithm progression of, you know, adopting more and more right-wing beliefs. And it seems like it's really stemming from this, well, I guess I'm not a good liberal anymore, so what am I? And then I see people who tend to jump straight into like conspiracy theories in general, like any conspiracy theory. If like, well, gender identity was not real, then, you know, what about vaccines? What about coronavirus and uh, 5G? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Wait, we can't say that on YouTube. I know, I, I better cut that part. <laughs> cut Just, that, it's yeah. gonna be like bleep. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a bleep. Um, anyway, so, you know, people start to then go down this rabbit hole of just conspiracy theories in general. And on some of the uh, forums for radical feminists, we do see people who kind of fit that description of they're just like into conspiracy theories now, and some of which have more merit than others. And then, and this is actually what I think is most common among gender identity um, liberals who are questioning gender identity, is I see this doubling down on liberal wokeism as an identity mm -hmm. and saying like, I might be gender critical, but I am a liberal, I am anti-racist, I am woke, I am a leftist, I am a progressive in every other way. And it's just this one thing and those people I see also doing a lot of trying to police others yeah. online and saying things like, you can't say that, like, you need to be a better ally to this, you need to be this, that, and the other thing, and trying to apply these woke policies into the gender identity space. You know, something that you sparked for me was tribalism, this concept of tribalism. Mm -hmm. Like, you feel, you know, and it's when you get canceled, and I don't know if you experience this, MK, but... The conservatives are so much nicer to you. They're like welcoming you with open arms. They're supporting you. They understand that you're not this horrible person and they're they're defending you from this mob. Um, so it's very difficult to resituate yourself if you considered yourself on the left. And I do consider myself to have progressive values, um, but that some people then feel that they have to find a new tribe. And maybe that was sort of the Ariel Scarcella mold is like, I don't fit in this tribe anymore. I have to find a new one. It's really hard to be tribeless. Um, it's maybe, maybe we can't, maybe humans aren't, you know, we're not meant for that. But um, yeah, and then, so the, so the tribalism thing is kind of your first example, right? And then, then you, the second one is conspiracy theorist. And then the third is doubling down. And I had a little bit of that too, because for a while when I was um, gender critical, I was still like, I felt unease around some of the rhetoric, some of the other social justice rhetoric, but I couldn't put it into words. I decided, oh my God, let me not see what's under that rock because then I'm going to be even more of a pariah. Like I'm already so controversial over here with my gender critical views like I don't want to also I'd rather still have the right opinions when it comes to race and black lives matter yeah. um so well, and, and I yeah. think that people think that that will protect them yeah that and I definitely did this especially in the early days of coming out as gender critical is I you know was still writing a lot that used this like woke anti-racist language mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. things that I was increasingly also starting to question and you know, finding a way to determine what I really believe on these issues while still being true to myself, I think was really important uh, as a growth process for me, being able to learn, for example, like, you know, I really do think that anti-racism, not maybe in the way that it's used today as a, you know, an ideology, but as a value, the idea of um, being against discrimination based on arbitrary characteristics, that is a value that I hold very dear to me, that it's something I've always cared about, and I think that I probably will always continue to care about. I see systemic racism as a massive problem that in the United States today that needs to be addressed, and yet I 
started to question things like, you know, White Fragility, the book that we've mentioned a couple of times in passing on this show. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should do a whole thing on that Ooh, someday. But, fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so I started to question some of these aspects of woke anti-racism that are really honestly just like other types of racism in disguise. And I have noticed that if you call these things out, people just assume, oh, well, you're racist then, or mm -hmm. well, then you're like, you don't care about these things that you used to care about anymore. It's like, no, that's not true. I do, like, I still care a lot about that. I just think that the way that this group is going about it is not effective. It's actually doing more harm than good. And being able to find that middle ground without saying it, yeah, I question this and therefore I'm going full conservative right wing, like I don't think systemic racism exists. Like, you know, you can have an in-between, but that gray area is really uncomfortable because like yeah. you said, you don't fit into a political box anymore. You you don't have a word to describe that. Like people say sometimes, oh, well, that's what being moderate is, but I don't think I'm moderate. I think my views actually do tend to sit on a lot of issues on one end of the spectrum or the other, but they don't fit a narrative right. together as a cohesive whole mm -hmm. that can be explained by any of our current labels. And right. people really need that label without, without it, they don't know who they are. I think that being able to find what your values and politics are, regardless of what label is being put on them and what other people are going to say about you is really important. And, you know, I was just talking about race and I, uh, there's an article coming out soon on 4W, probably actually already be up by the time you're watching this about race. And one of my friends said to me, well, you better be prepared to be called racist. And my thought on that was, it doesn't really matter what people call me because I know it's in my heart. I know it's in my head. I know that I am not racist. And I know that this is that I actually care a lot about ending what racism that is real. And so what people want to call me is irrelevant. But I think that when but it, it's an identity question is because, well, if other people see you as something that you don't think you are, then you feel the need to align yourself one way or another to prove, okay, well, I'm not racist and therefore I'm going to fit myself perfectly into this woke liberal box. Or alternatively, I've seen people who, if they get called racist enough, then they're fine, maybe I am racist. And then they just decide, like, I guess I'm just going to be racist now. Right. And maybe they're not actually racist in their heart. Like, they're just saying, like, fine, like, you want to call me this, I am going to be the monster you think I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see that with people who get radicalized online, and then, you know, continue down that rabbit hole. So I think yeah. that finding like a way to question things, but not applying it to a identity label is really important. And, you know, I think in one of our early episodes, Sasha, you talked about how you don't identify as a radical feminist. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I really appreciate that mm -hmm. and start to question, you know, well, maybe even for myself, I, I think that my ideals, my values, like really do align with radical feminism. So, you know, there's very few points of differentiation there, but when you have a label, you are sort of forced by the others who share that label to yeah. fall in line. And being label free is a way to maintain control over your own mind. And I think that's really powerful. 
the point is being able to not just go along with something because it's what your tribe, your identity group, your political affiliation tells you to believe, but then actually thinking for yourself. And it's so ironic because when someone becomes gender critical, they have already done that once. Like, if, especially if you're coming from the left, like we are, then you've already done it once. You've questioned what your tribe told you, but then it's almost like questioning and can become your new identity. And so then that can send you spiraling down these other paths or you can say, I'm not gonna be the questioner. I'm not gonna be different. I need to be exactly in every other way what the left tells me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that I wanna just really encourage people to really try to make up their own mind on pretty much the whole range of issues and not just fall into the trap of, well, if I am gender critical or a radical feminist, I must think that, or I must not be a leftist, or I must not, uh, you know, I must, believe other conspiracy theories, et cetera, and find a way to look at what your values are that led you here and then apply those values logically and consistently. Yeah. And I really liked your point about the, what you know yourself to be and believe versus how other people perceive you. And as we've seen time and time again, this perception being tantamount is a pattern on in the woke left and we see it with transgenderism and gender theory where what you are perceived as is what you are um it makes no sense and that's why super straight had to stand up and say like uh if i'm like you know if if i'm a straight man because this is like super straight then i'm not attracted to a man who's dressed like a woman that's still a man and this is also offensive to gay people so anyway this is this has been said, has this ever been said before? Um, but yeah, you know, so that made me think of like, a lot of people right, right now are really obsessed with perception. And like I said to you, MK, mm-hmm. before we started recording, that makes you the polar opposite from the people who post black squares on their Instagram because all they care about is perception. They don't care about the actual issues like you do. They just want to look like they have the right opinion. It's like this stamp, this label. And um, this is an example. It's validation. It's it's a a, desperate need for validation. What other person sees me as is what is true about me. If Mm -hmm. other people see me as anti-racist, I am anti-racist. If I can get others to use female pronouns for me, then I am a female. Like Mm -hmm. it's the idea that validation is the only thing that matters. And if we're able to question validation as like important in gender identity, then we should be able to question that in our other aspects of identity. If someone calls me a conservative, I I mean, I laugh because I know it's not true. Mm -hmm. I barely even feel the need to argue with it anymore because it's like, it's just so objectively not true. Anyone can, I mean, I write a lot. And so anyone can actually read my writing and try to find what I actually believe in that. And there's just so little that could be even remotely characterized as conservative on any issue. And you can tell that it's just a way to try to pin you in a box and then and that really does cause though people to have this you know crisis of well what am I mm-hmm. you know you can just be you like you don't have to have a tribe you don't have to be conservative you don't have to be liberal you don't have to be woke you can just be an independent thinker and you know I maybe independent thinker is your tribe yeah and those people tend to be the most interesting they sure as hell do I've been learning that ever since I got canceled it's been such a blessing because I would have never been in this community of heterodox thinkers 
And, you know, this is a case where your internal knowledge of who you are trumps what other people say about you. Like, okay, we can say like, that's a man or a woman. And no matter what they say, it doesn't really change it. But this is completely different. This is like, you know, your own morals. It, like you're saying, it doesn't matter what other people call you. And another example that I thought of is lockdown. So does mm. anyone on the, is anybody on the left a lockdown skeptic? Not that I know of, and yet it should be a left-wing position. And when lockdown first started, I had the very normal left-wing position. I didn't think of this. I'm not like, you know, I'm not just like, oh, thought of a new idea. Maybe the government shouldn't take away our civil liberties in a time of emergency, huh? No, like this is a leftist position, like 9-11, the Patriot Act. They used the emergency to take away a whole chunk of civil liberties. They did not give them back right? We know this to happen. We know this to be true. They also used it to launch this, mm -hmm. these disgusting endless wars. Um, but so in the beginning of lockdown, and I actually did an interview with a constitutional attorney who um, we, t and I asked about this, I was like, you know, what about is the very beginning of lockdown last March? And um, what do you think about this? There's that danger of, of our civil liberties being taken away and not being given back. And now a year later, it's unthinkable that you would be able to question this on the left. It's this right, far right thing. It's like Toby Young, yeah. the lockdown skeptic. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, there, there are people on the left who are questioning it, but they have been called out for it. So, <laughs> I mean, Megan Murphy is a great example of she's a leftist, yeah. a liberal, classical liberal in most ways. She's a feminist. And she was skeptical of lockdown as the infringement of, on civil liberties. And she was really widely um, discouraged among other feminists for talking about that and saying, well, it looks like Megan Murphy has gone full conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. And you know, some people might listen to the first half of the show and think, <laughs> oh yeah, like Megan Murphy who went full conspiracy theory on COVID. But mm -hmm. I think this is a good example. I, I think I actually told you this story already, Sasha. Hopefully I didn't tell it on the podcast already, but um, there's you know some women on Spinster, the feminist website that I run where they were talking in the beginning of COVID about how they saw this as a threat to women's rights and how they were concerned that lockdown would harm women. And that was also mixed in with a lot of uh, denial of medicine and science and vaccines. And there, there was this mix of things that were factually either inaccurate or a misrepresentation of information to try to put a certain agenda forward that was mixed with some things that actually did turn out to be completely true, which is that lockdown would negatively impact women, would lead to rises in domestic violence cases, like things that now a year later, mainstream media are admitting happened, including that women would lose more jobs than men, et cetera. And so I think that being able to look at these claims and say, well, you know what? I disagree with what you're saying about the, you know, lack of danger or like the medical aspect, but there are genuine threats to civil liberties, to women's rights, to our place in society. These things can be true at once. You can say like, I disagree with your denial of medicine, but I agree that this is gonna harm women. And like all of those things can be true, but having a complicated opinion on something is not popular. It's not <laughs> because trendy. Because no one knows what to make of it. Yeah. 
If you like this discussion today, then you might enjoy a podcast I was just on called Heterodorks with Nina Paley and Corinna Cohn. So I really recommend checking that out. The link will be in the description. I went on their show this week to talk about things like free speech and uh, cancel culture. And we talk about some you know, big cultural debates around different aspects of freedom and civil liberties. So I think that you guys will enjoy that. So go give them a listen and check it out. Nice. Can't wait to check it out myself. So um, let us know what you guys think about everything we talked about, tribalism, the packages of beliefs, questioning everything. How do you question everything without going crazy? That's our question to you guys. And if you've fallen down one of these rabbit holes, I'd be really curious to know what was that experience like and how did you get out? So feel free to drop your experience in the comments. Absolutely. We love hearing from you guys. And as always, a reminder that you can send us a question at submit at identitycrisis.xyz and find us all over the internet at the links below. And be sure to read this week's column on 4W, where we're going to dive a little bit more into this topic of identity, cognitive dissonance, and finding where you fit in the world with your political beliefs. See you guys next Monday. Bye.